live your life, boy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Conspiracy Farm, where we don't start the conspiracies, we just add the water. And now, your host of the most state-of-the-art, most informed podcast on the interweb, I present to you, Pat Militage and Jeffrey Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for Yeah, rear naked choke of Cocker Spaniel, bro. You know what I'm saying? Change the neighborhood up. Conspiracy Farm. Go. Check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, off to the races for another episode of the Conspiracy Farm for the Archives. As always, Jeffrey Wilson, riding shotgun with UFC Hall of Famer, eater of world, trainer of champions, master of the tango. Pat Militich, how are we doing today, sir? You know, I'm doing all right, man. Trying to live in the world uh, with a bunch of people that have no historical basis for their knowledge and their judgment and their emotional thinking. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to have a great conversation today with this guest. I'm, I'm pumped we've got him. Somebody's been watching the news. Wow, there is a little bit going on in the news. And I'm actually really stoked to talk to this gentleman. I've been a huge fan um, inside the cage, outside of the cage as a professional wrestling guy. You know, I definitely want to pick his brain a little bit. He is the war master, martial artist, sports commentator, professional wrestler, former UFC uh, heavyweight champion, and if I remember, the youngest heavyweight champion or youngest UFC champion of any weight division. Josh Barnett, how are we doing today, sir? Uh, doing well. Definitely not that young anymore. Uh, and John Jones took the title away from me of uh, youngest heavy U- youngest UFC champion of all time, but I'm still the youngest UFC cha- heavyweight champion, I guess. So, yeah. Hey, it's it's still, you know, a distinction not many have. Well, well you're I, supposed to be at weight to be a young. What'd you say? Well, it's, a, it's a joke, guys. It's a joke. No, you broke up. I'm sorry. Uh, well, I, I, yeah, just, you know, uh, starting it off. I mean, I know, ladies and gentlemen, please bear with me because, like, again, a professional wrestling fan. And I know, obviously, Josh, you are too. You know, when did it bite you? Where'd you grow up and you went to the territories? What was the first bit of professional wrestling territories that uh, that bit you? Uh, I I would have to say it would be WWF back in the day. I mean, that was the one that was the most uh, available to people uh, on cable or, or, or whatever options were available. I think I remember watching it on USA. But uh, I became such a fan of pro wrestling that I would watch... NWA, which would then become WCW uh, on on Turner, and then I would start catching even the AWA shows. Although I think they were they might have been uh, replays on ESPN or something like that. So I just always loved pro wrestling. I always loved fighting, uh, seeing all those action movies all the kung fu stuff of the the shaw brothers like and what have you of the 70s hmm. and then turn into the the martial arts movies of the 80s and into the early 90s um with the video games like street fighter 2 and such uh, when i finally found that the ufc was a real thing like i just thought all the coolest stuff that i'd grown up with had become <laughs> reality that's why he is the war master any uh, particular favorites in the in your just wrestling in general NWA, any territory, any era? Uh, honestly, I mean, my favorite stuff is the UWFI, the early uh, the early years of the UWFI over in Japan. And uh, uh, I will also say rings, early rings, and, uh, um, you know, anything of that UWF shoot wrestling nature. Catch as catch can. Mm-hmm. Nice. 
Well, all right, I'm done marking out. Pat, let's get into the thick stuff. I mean, the world, I, what have you been up to, though, Josh? I mean, obviously, you know, we kind of like to pick people's brains. The world's changed for everybody. I know, you know, just doing show prep on you and kind of following you, you stay busy. What are you up to, bud? Uh, I've never been busier, to be perfectly honest. Uh, at some point, there was a necessity to to really consider pivoting on a lot of my general routine because it just wasn't something that was available. Plus, there were so many unknown factors towards this pandemic to start off with because well that's just kind of the way these things are right and the more knowledge you get the better you can make an informed decision but when you have no knowledge then you have to um as nasim taleb puts it overreact it's better to overreact in something like this than underreact so uh i stayed pretty pretty low key to begin with at the start of this thing although i was uh and as I keep running, telling all my friends who didn't freaking pay attention, I, I, I was telling people in uh, early February, like, get your supplies, get things you need. This is going to turn into a shit show. People are going to be the biggest problem. Get going. And everyone, no one wanted to listen. And of course, you know, everybody's usually plugged into mainstream media. So when they decide to say, oh, it's just the flu or well, there's no human to human transmission, there, you know, all the, all the mistakes, either be it intentional or otherwise uh you know never it's never stopped mainstream media from just talking out of their ass even without <laughs> you know they might have have a narrative that they would like to spin but uh they don't necessarily have to be diabolical they just most of the time just uh, incompetent and so i just said look guys you need to prepare for this you need to leave just have things in case let's say a normal natural disaster was to happen you should always have some water on hand you should always have some extra food and that stuff doesn't cost a whole lot of money and if you live in california especially it's an earthquake state so it's just a necessity so for me i just looked at it as well this is just price of admission for living in a place like this anyways well and we have insurance right we have car insurance house insurance life insurance it's just those just in case it's better to have it not need it and need it not have it right but the, the, the toughest thing was getting a schedule up and going again. Once once you get things set and you have your 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 day to day right your dailies, um, you once that ends and especially as abruptly as it did, okay, how do you get yourself reset into into new habits and and struck restructure how you approach the day yes. to get to be pr- uh, productive? And so that took a that took some time. Uh, but once once that well, once I got through that little uh, past that hurdle, then it was just with the whiskey production stuff, with uh, now working with 5B Artist Management as well, getting more into other side projects, working on more pro wrestling stuff and new merch deals uh, and all kinds of other things in, in, in the air right now. It's I've just never been busier. I'm, I'm doing something every day. I'm having to get back to people, schedule things. It's just it's been uh been a full a full time for me well and i definitely want to get into the whiskey part but i mean it, it can't be overstated um what you were saying about restructuring we all you know suicides are through the roof you know people who you know might be suffering from addiction they're falling off because part of what keeps them sober and keeps them sane and just normal people is, is your everyday habits so when that is squashed like you said resetting if you will to create new habits new structure i mean that's been a very very difficult thing for people so i mean obviously kudos to you and anybody out there who is just kind of struggling to get back on task or to stay focused that is a huge part of is the discipline of of restructuring you know what was you know your daily habits true uh you know there is um absolutely something to be said for discipline 
and and structure and and creating the the creating that walkway as you for you to approach life so it it keeps you on the the straight and narrow to use a, a an over uh, or like a, a colloquial term but i think to be honest really what's most key is you need to have constructed a way of 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 me- meaningful sense making and meaning making you need to have a life that that instills meaningfulness into what you do and how you are and so for me like i knew there was going to be a bunch of difficulties but some of these things were about trying to figure out how to how am i going to operate with with everything else you know i have no control over the rest of the world i can only right. have control me and so figuring out what was going to be available and then also just i think a lot of people are are okay they've been stuck indoors they've been sitting inside uh, they don't have uh, work of any sort to do, or at least they haven't figured out how to then find work for themselves. Because trust me, there's always work. And uh, hmm. now they're just having to face with the reality of dealing with the hollowness of a life they've constructed, thinking that that would be a sufficient way of being. And it's just not hmm. because people are are suffering, in my opinion, be it even if they're successful, rich entrepreneurs or who knows what, or uh you know, someone just barely scraping by. They just don't have. They don't have. There's such a crisis of meaning anymore that mm. uh, we're finding that all these uh, shallow uh, elements to life that they've put so much stock into will not will not carry the load for them. Aren't yeah. insufficient towards uh, true happiness and uh, meaningfulness. That, that's well, interesting. Well, let's, let's yeah. talk. So, sorry, I, I mean, we want to talk about when you when you talk about that you know, meaning and and structure and and a lot of other things and and purpose to life. And I think a lot of that has been lost in what I mentioned earlier in the emotion-based thinking that has been just indoctrinated into this generation of of millennials who are serving, uh, they're they're serving as, uh, they've been weaponized, no matter, of course, they're they're weaponizing um, race, but they're also weaponizing the indoctrinated uh, masses into thinking it's okay to just go out and and burn buildings and destroy cities and attack their neighbors' uh, businesses and houses and and attack innocent people uh, because they're they're somehow uh, number one angry at the government but more so following the people who are who are being paid organizers to to go out and get these people whipped up to, into a frenzy and destroy things and and you know so that's 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 the thing that bothers me the most is that. These people just are totally based on emotion and emotion, thinking with emotion, I've said it time and time again, is going to and it has been getting people killed. And if they continue to do it, it's going to get a lot more people killed. For sure. But uh, let me let me um, let me let me posit this idea to you. It's not just about thinking with emotion, but uh, I would say that these people are in a a religion and they don't know it, which Mm. is partially why it's so dangerous. The other thing is. I would say that that most of the people caught up in these these real ideologically uh, uh, bent movements and these things that are, in my opinion, being used as replacements for for meaningful activity, meaningful um, 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 participation in things. And and you know, if you read just the the headline that's being um, that's usually uh, put out there to propagandize you into doing whatever it is they want to do, and and there's propaganda of all, all sorts everywhere. For, for everything it's always enticing and it always makes it seem as if it's meaningful that it's that it's potentially uh, putting you in 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 line with the heroic ideal 
like, um, you know, like you might read from uh, uh, Joseph Campbell, all these things. But the other thing is, is that Nietzsche already talked about how this was going to be the case back in when he wrote about the death of God. And the thing is, these people that are so caught up in ideological um, uh, causes and, 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 and movement and, and, and meaning making from these greater external apparatus, really, are the same people that would have been the most uh, uh, religious. They would be the religious zealots. They would be those that would be uh, within the most hardened churches. Uh, sure. They would be the people that I used to have conversations with about um, about religion and spirituality and be like, okay, I'm going to argue about the objectiveness of it. I'm not going to argue about whether there are truths or whether that's useful or, you know, I can go into a whole metaphorical, metaphysical thing about why religion is awesome and why there's things to take from it because it is the, the thing with most, um, that has most access to the oldest human uh, psychology, knowledge, behavior, and, and also on universal concepts that seem to go across space and time uh, and cultures and how you can see the, 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 more, uh, the more that we're alike uh, across the world than we are different. Oh, yes. and, but, but when people would argue objectively with me, then I'm like, well, okay, I, I mean, I, there's nothing I can do to, to change your mind because you don't want to hear anything I have to say anyways. Yeah. Right. So, Well, and the, and the participation trophies... For this activity, could potentially and probably will end up being two to the chest and one to the forehead, unfortunately. Yeah, quite possibly. And it's really, I mean, there's a lot of, and I've said before uh, in another place that uh, the people that are upset with the government, um, I think that I think that we as a, an entire nation or, or the West at large knows that there are problems with how inefficiently run and how unaccountable a lot of our state systems are and our bureaucracies sure. have grown so huge that a, a giant bureaucracy is always going to be tough to to be efficient because it's just it's just too many moving pieces but it's also in the benefit of bureaucracies and of the politicians that work within them or like i like to refer to them the the managerial elite um is to make more more uh administrations make more uh focus groups make more you know subdivisions and things because bureaucracy getting bigger gives them you know, now potentially if I'm the head of, if I'm Joe Blow and I'm on some council somewhere from a city council all the way to some sort of federal council, if I get to be a part of another committee or I can create another thing like, oh, committee for homelessness uh, issues, then you get to add maybe, oh, you're the president of that as well as being on this civic council and on that. And then you can go ahead and continue to add more titles to your name and then create, oh, look, I, I created this thing that's going to you know, it's called the Save the Kittens Foundation. It's like there's nothing but it. It's never a boondoggle or a waste of money or inefficient or just a, you know, a personal vanity project. And the thing is that you know, people will always do what they're incentivized to do. So if people are more incentivized for their own self-interest than to work in the the or to work for the benefit of the of the populace of which and the citizenry about which they're supposed to to be helping. Well, then, of course, they're going to do that. You know, it, they don't even have to be evil people necessarily. Right. It's, it is easy to see people do what they're incentivized to do. And it actually takes uh, a person to be really self-aware and, and really somebody that is unafraid of having to accept all the things about themselves that are good and bad to be able to be like, OK, I can't do this for various reasons because this goes against what I, what my job is supposed to be towards towards those who I gave my word to. 
And when you talk about incentivization, I mean, obviously, like Pat was saying, you know, you got a lot of money that's Act Blue and this BLM is hundreds of millions of dollars. Obviously, there's a huge financial incentive to kind of create a lot of this chaos. <clears throat> it's interesting you said these kids are in a religion and almost they don't even realize it. What um, what do you what do you see them as wanting? They state they want to burn everything down. They want to take down everything that symbolizes America or the West, as you alluded to. What, I mean, what, what do you see as kind of the end result of this weird incentivization to not just financially from the from the upper levels, but down below these foot soldiers who are just like Pat was saying, burning stuff down, creating chaos like Kenosha was in flames last night. What do they yeah. want? What are they going to do? What's the incentive here? I think a lot of them or would be like Yuri Bezmenov refers to as the useful. Useful. Idiot. Idiot. Well, I guess yeah. yeah. All of but I, I think that they've been they've had a lot of. Uh, Parts, they've had a lot of their, their their human characteristics weaponized. Yes. And as you get involved with uh, groups, the more excited, uh, more 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 in, incensed, incentivized, the, or, or incensed and uh, invigorated the group becomes, the more people want to get into the group. The more the people within the group becomes, and you know, it, it's a, a it's a kind of a viral uh, kind uh, concept. Uh, and I think. You know, Edward, if you want to get more into that, you could look into like uh, Edward Bernays. Yes. Uh, especially who does stuff on group psychology. But, I, you know, I think a lot of these people understand that there are they would they, they want things to be better than they are. And even if they can't put their finger on it, um, even even these uh, some of these radical groups always have to start with at least some piece of truth. Otherwise, it just all completely falls apart. And it's usually the idea of taking a, uh, you know, a seat of truth and planting a forest of bullshit and that forest of bullshit is the narrative <laughs> that you want to instill into people and and what how you want to use it and even some of these people planting forests of bullshit from the, the upper even the highest level they might truly believe that kind of stuff well it's um, interesting you say they, they you know they want to replace this with something better and some of them even like at the top of uh, uh, uh blm <clears throat> stating unequivocally we're trained marxists as if marxism and right. leninism and communism yeah that's worked out so fucking well yeah. throughout history well, you know, of course. Well, you know, people like uh, Patrice Cullers and, uh, and 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 her ilk. Yes, I mean, I I would have to I would have to assume that they really do believe in Marxism and neo-Marxism. Uh, I forget which one of them was uh, understudied under Angela Davis. So who's another Marxist? But you know, more in the neo-Marxist sense of like Frankfurt School kind of stuff, right? And uh, with all the little postmodern elements added to it, which is a really uh, useful tool for, for arguing your point. Because if you can use postmodern destruction, deconstruction, and, and uh, destruction of objective reality, uh, you can just start positing all kinds of things in there to your own benefit. Right. But I don't. I mean, I think that someone like that, I would. And, and, and maybe somebody you could call them like they're they're diabolically planning, but I don't think so. I just think that they're you know something about the ideological position of of of, of some of these philosophies. Just it, it spoke to something within them, and and they they are genuine about it, which can actually make things even more dangerous. Uh, and people realize that we could be doing a lot better, but I think it's hard for generally the mo the average citizen. And to get outside the paradigm of how everything is described to you, the what the what what the history of all these sort of things are and how right. things are really working, you know, it's so easy to say pick pick an enemy or pick pick just a 
uh, one point at which to focus your your issues with. So let's say with Donald Trump, you can attack Trump, attack Trump, attack Trump. But attacking Trump doesn't it, it, it puts you into this myopic way of viewing things, and you start thinking like, if I just replace one for the other, everything will be better, exactly. and then I can I can just move these pieces around. It's like no, no, it's not that simple. Like anything that you want to even say for good or for bad the machine has been moving longer than Trump has been in office and will yeah, move right. longer than will ever be in office. And it, 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 he can't change it for the better or for the worse enough for either side to fully. Yeah. Uh, Too many uh, people are playing, playing checkers when the game is chess and not kind of. Yeah, there's a lot of and it's been going this way for a long time. You know, my, my general argument to people is that, you know, it, it, it only takes a little, uh, just a little digging around to see that people have been talking about the decline of the West since the turn of the century or turn of the, the, the 20th century and even slightly before that. So if they were able to see very bright individuals were able to see that there were certain problems starting to embed themselves that would eventually turn into something worse. I mean, just because some of these things don't, don't come at you like, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mao destroying the four olds during the, uh, the 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 great leap forward but instead are like a slow degradation and yes. i would say that technology has really slowed things down and allow us to live in a bit more of a brave new world sort of scenario where the luxuries um and a bit of you know a, a, a push towards uh fulfilling our more hedonistic senses and those dopamine hits that come from it um and I mean hedonistic in terms of anything you do in like a pornographic sense, like even social media and and consumerism and and you do these things because they 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 scratch all those like real hmm. base surface level itches in our person, yes. which we're all um, and and all of us are are, are uh, we're vulnerable to these things. Like nobody's special in that regard. Well, and it's we never that hard hard takeover. Like you know, Stalin, like you said, Mao. It's like what Yuri Bezmenov was saying. This ideological subversion that takes decades and you're talking about you know hedonistic that's pretty much the demoralization of, of kind of where we're at right now and so i was wondering like all these people you know who are who are doubling down on this ideology that's killed freaking more people than you know you know stalin mao paul Pot. i mean you name it and it's just it's just so weird to me how they don't get how the bolshevik revolution played out the red brigade or whatever when the useless when they're done with the useless idiots historically what's happened They've never put them in power. I mean, Stalin was so fucking par or Lenin or one of the two, so paranoid. He took out his whole inner circle just to make sure no Stop. one would. Yeah, I mean, so it's like, how do these guys know? I, like you said, I think some of them actually believe, you know, in the value of socialism, communism, et cetera, Leninism, Marxism. But I just, it's just never fucking worked. So it's I well, don't know. I mean, there's there's plenty of, of decent things to be gleaned from from uh, studying Lenin, uh, even studying. Stalin, of all people, uh, I mean, even the worst of the, the the worst of these these individuals throughout history um, are always harnessing some sort of a truth, some sort of truth within uh, the time and the era and the people. And then they're they're obviously then they take it and they they can then distort it and make it something like really wild. But but they always have to start with something. And, right. and they're not they're not they're not in it alone. So they're always supported, not just by their little inner circle, their cadres of their most loyal, but they get the support of the people when they do these things too. And so, um, it, it is just our, our human nature and to, 
to it, it's it's always a bad idea to simply discount these things cheaply because that's how they that's how you never see that's how you don't see it when it comes back around. Yeah. But it, it's also, uh, it's, I mean, there's also a lot of, uh, I mean, the idea of utopia ideals are attractive to people. We, we would like it for, for a utopian um, uh, potential to arrive. And, you know, Marx talks about, you know, after late stage capitalism, then you go into like this, this, um, you know, you have socialism and then you've got this, this point where um people are have to fort they okay you have your revolution this this now you create this this uh new sort of uh, dictatorship for a second and then but it, the whole point is that the dictatorship is supposed to be of these these you know these these marxist uh, uh leaders and, and and thought leaders and intellectuals and they'll they'll get everything going and then they will just abdicate their positions but it's like that's never going to happen dude i mean <laughs> It's like you don't understand human nature whatsoever. You understand it in one sense when making uh, uh, claims against the dangers of consumerism and capitalism without the, the proper orientation. Uh, but then you think that people are just going to abdicate power. Like, fuck no, they're not going to do that. Hmm. They never have and they never will. Right. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, and, from a... and as far as the as far as the, uh, sorry, Jeff, as no, far but... as the. The, you, the the concept of utopia, you know, Socrates and Plato, uh, you know, they even said it always is going to fail because of personal aspirations and dreams and people wanting to 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 reach you know heights and and do great things with their lives. It's always going to collapse and fail because of that. Yeah, well, I think if you want to dissuade yourself of the idea of utopianism, uh, first uh, there's a guy who's got a YouTube channel called Down the Rabbit Hole, I think it is, and he's got a great one on the Great Mouse Utopia experiments. If you're not familiar, uh, that were put together. I forget the scientists that started it off, but he started creating them in his backyard, and then eventually the the National Institute of Mental Health then gave him a big backing and a grant, and he built a huge utopia project, the biggest version he could ever do, and gave these mice. I think it's mice, not rats, but I could be wrong on this. Uh, everything they could possibly need in terms of luxury and necessity for, for so, I mean, it's like the idea when people start talking about uh, uh, even living wages and uh, free healthcare and free, you know, all the, all like saying like all these things should be rights to have all these things. Well, they, they did that for all these, these animals, these mice and the whole thing, it like blew up and then it just completely started to absolutely fall apart. No matter what the scientists tried to do, they just, just completely destroyed itself. They stopped breeding. The mice segregated the ever-living crap out of each other. They got like all the little beta mice started attacking all the time and being violent with their mates. And then, but it was just, it was this, it's, it, wow. you're going, well, they, they have no lack for anything, no want for anything. And, you know, that produces even things like the the group of mice called the beautiful ones that would just sit up on the highest perch <laughs> themselves all day. And, and not participate in anything else towards procreation or mating or anything. They would just they would just isolate themselves off and groom all day long. And the other person that would that would uh, I mean besides reading Nietzsche, but uh, if, to take something a little I think easier to digest, uh, uh, Rene Girard's uh, mimetic theory and the scapegoat will will get you uh, thinking that okay, uh, utopianism just is not a possibility. But the, if we could figure out a way to create the most stable and accessible competition 
structure for human beings that can allow them to participate in hierarchies and or disconnect, exit from a hierarchy, but yet find their own fulfillment and, and be okay with that, you know? But I mean, it's an easy thing to say, but it's hard to, to steal yourself into the kind of, uh, into the kind of psychological state that you can make that happen, especially when you have uh, a, a paradigm of modern living that doesn't want you to to be such a way. And and that's not like a that's not a conspiracy level thing. That's you know because all of it, if you if you want to break it down, all have a, 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 a clean and, and apparent rational reason as to why these things are the way they are. But um, it's just it's always tough to 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 be the one that can that can. Uh, create their own life, you know, as Heidegger would say, become Dasein. Well, and like you said, without, without that desire of wanting for anything, you just kind of go into that stagnation of just atrophy and you just kind of waste away. I think human beings are here to have some kind of struggle at any point in time. And piggyback on what, what Pat was saying about, you know, utopia or whatever could just never happen just because of the inclinations of human beings. <clears throat> Can't that the same be said for capitalism? I mean, it's not necessarily a level playing field. We do have crony capitalism going on where it's basically, you know, whatever you want to call it at the top. And then everyone else kind of can pretend it's a level paying, playing field. But it's human beings that wind up fucking think, it up. Yeah, of course. Well, and I, I've, I've had plenty of conversations uh, with people that want to scream and yell and decry capitalism. And then I go, OK. All right. I mean, I understand why the people are upset for, for all kinds of reasons, and it can be from locale to 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 the to the world at large. Especially, you know, living here in Southern California, where things are so utterly expensive all the time. <laughs> uh, and I just say, okay, well, what is capitalism? Then define it for me. And there's always all these additional things that they keep adding to it, and I'm like. Nope, got to stop you right there. You did not define capitalism. You just, you just, you started adding all these elements of the, that that people have brought into uh, their own participation within it. Capitalism is a neutral system. It doesn't have any morality to it. It has no ethics to it. It's got nothing within it that there's no there's no moral framework to capitalism, unlike say Marxism or some of these other systems. Capitalism is simply uh, ownership of your your labor and your goods, uh, your ideas. And and private and the ability to freely exchange and trade with anybody else of the same or for for the same or, or any other good that you find uh, valuable to yourself. It's it is the ability to 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 do so to own private property. It's it's it's, it's sovereignty in terms of your your work, your ideas, uh, your your uh, your your um, uh, your goods that you create. That's what it is. But uh, if you give freedom to anybody of any sort freedom is the freedom to be and do good and also freedom to be and do bad and so if allowed long enough like any system uh and it doesn't matter that it's capitalist communist any sort of thing if the the system itself isn't essentially audited and revitalized and and um um, uh, restored at times, uh, then then it will always go to a lower state of energy. It will be, it will start to fall apart. It will start to become something that uh, no longer resembles its intention, and you know, let alone its effects of the the human human entropy on things, because uh, humans are entropic as well. Uh, but uh, these the, as people start getting into their comfort zones and seeing how they can get the most out of it for the least put into it. And how they can, if they can separate themselves from, from, uh, from uh, 
uh, outside sources uh, affecting their ability to be in to have power and 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 wealth. You know, even when I was far younger, I used to just say like the the money that politicians make and deal in is not the money that us, the regular citizenry, has access to. Right. It's a completely different bubble of cash and wealth and exchange and. And, and it, it, this isn't something that any, any, anybody I know can just go up and actually get a dollar from. It's not the same. It's not the same money pool. And why would they want to have it be uh, where it includes everyone instead? Why not just narrow the, the field down to the to a, a more known uh, marketplace and, and, a, and a, with the, where you know the risks and rewards so much easier and you've got less competition within it. Well, and that I mean, further that's... lends itself to kind of the, not the fraud, but kind of the illusion of capitalism or, you know, the, the fallacy of a free market. Because like you said, it's, you know, it's kind of a good fellas club keeping the smaller guys out. Well, they're always going to want to do that because that's just what humans do. They want to, and, and, and you couldn't really blame them in just principle um, even though I would say that when, especially when you're dealing with politicians, like that's that some of that stuff is is literally death penalty level, in my opinion, yeah. because you know you you're not in office to make power and money. You should be in office to serve the populace and the citizenry. Right. And you know if you're doing the right job, well, we shouldn't hardly even know you're there. And um, by finding ways to incentivize uh, wealth wealth gain to politicians, you're only incentivizing what we have right in front of us it is and and i say this in that humans are always going to do this so i don't i love the 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 theory of of totally free markets but i don't believe in them because i don't believe in the the ability to keep human beings on task right so there has to be some sort of framework there has to be some regulation but then then there's that balance if you're not auditing if you're not going over these systems sincerely that regulation will then turn into some boondoggle that just yeah. uh, gonna reward one and and hamper the other. I mean, it it's just the way it is. Right. Uh, I internal investigations, but you know the the latest case of some massive corruption, of course, some some senators on both sides of the aisle uh, yep. selling off millions of dollars of stock, and there was an internal investigation, of course, and none were charged, and we never yeah. heard anything more of it. You know where where they were privy to the lockdown and what was going to happen, what was going to come. And, you know, I want to talk about the financial part of this because this, in my mind, it's, uh, many people think that I'm completely insane when I say this, but Jeff and I have been saying for a long time, for well over a year before this lockdown happened, you know, we knew I was watching bank stocks, I was watching other financial metrics, along with the, the moronic QE programs that were going on since the 2008 collapse. And I said, this is going to be the biggest biggest financial collapse in human history. And at the same time, on one of our shows, we're talking to Diliana Gatanshaiba, who uncovered the you know 25 uh, biological warfare laboratories we had encircling Eurasia with the ability to create viruses that attack specific DNA with scientists who have diplomatic immunity. Um, and then this all hits. The minute it hits, Jeff and I are both going, holy shit, this is incredible. They're, they're covering their asses. Um, for a financial collapse with a virus and locking everything down. And most of the masses, the vast majority of people are thinking it all collapsed because they were trying to protect us, right? Hmm. Well, I mean, the thing is, I I'm not much of a conspiracy-minded person, but I always sit back and I go, well, what's the probability of certain things? And, and is there any plausibility? And could uh, creating a financial collapse create a, a reward of sorts? 
yeah, I could see a plausible case where it could. Sure, they just robbed the middle class of trillions of dollars and put us in the poorhouse, right? Although, you know, I mean, I I tend not to think of things in, in, in the idea of, Oh well, okay. This billionaire wanted more billions. I'm like, ah, I, I, you know, when when people already have near uh, near unlimited money and power, they don't. They generally are more concerned with maintenance of unlimited money and power, not creation of. I mean, it's already unlimited, nearly. It's sure. already up to, up to its level. I, I I tend to think it, it is more of, you know, uh, if there was anything like that, it would be probably a system or group idea. So it might be like, okay, well. Uh, a, co- a coalition of countries maybe decided such an idea, or one country, or 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 even just simply, okay, uh, think of uh, instead of Occam's razor, Hanlon's razor. So don't uh, attribute <laughs> to malice what be summed up by idiocy. And so maybe people just straight up <laughs> up and did something dumb. But okay, with an, the action has been done, and now there's going to be all these reactions to it. Okay, well now that it exists, let's uh, let you. Uh, let's now ride that wave in the way that we think is best for us. I mean, and that would be just more human, human nature in, in action without an intent of like, Oh, I wanted to set it up, but you know, this is what we're dealing with. So I'm going to fucking maximize it. I, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, there's so many, so many weird little things that happen on in the world and there's so much synchronicity that I think occurs that isn't even purposeful. So it's, it's really hard to, to nail some of these things down. But uh, I think it's a, I think it's always at least worth having the Machiavellian uh, outlook towards things, because if you can at least consider that human beings will do what they're incentivized to do, including if that means something that is going to negatively affect others, even if by by just nature, but not by intent, uh, then, okay, that's possible. Uh, What about how how could something someone do something bad? That in, that is that it would incentive be incentivized for them to do so, like all the ways that they might do something terrible, and what what would they gain from it? And could you then look at what those out, outcomes could be, and then put scale them on terms of well, what would be the limit at which someone would sell out, so to speak? Like okay, they wouldn't be willing to kill this many people for this, but maybe if they would kill this many people, if it was this much of a reward. Like, where is their threshold? And something that's simple. Yeah, something that's primitive and simple as feeding their family. Yes. Well, you brought up Brave New World not too long ago. Aldous Huxley, you know, written, I think, in the 60s. Are you not seeing any of the hallmarks of what was kind of written in that book as far as this this new technocracy coming along? The you know. Uh, yes, 100 percent. And I think we're uh, we're still, in my opinion, more Brave New World than we are in 1984. I think we have elements of both, but I really think we're Brave New World. I think that. In general, it is the 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 subjugation through luxury that has really weakened uh, the modern yes. the modern individual. Uh, and there is, I mean, there is 1984 inner party, outer party. Uh, you know, two plus two equals five. I mean, you can go watch. You can go read James Lindsay's thread on two plus two equals five uh, on Twitter if you want to get into uh, a master. Uh, dissector of postmodernist critical theory stuff, you know, as James Lindsay is on there. Uh, and also there's an amazing uh, YouTube account that uh, I suggest anybody that's into, into uh, self-development as psychology and philosophy, and it's called Academy of Ideas on YouTube. And he's got a wonderful video about 
the parallels of modern society with uh, with Brave New World and with 1984, and why it's we're more we're more uh, Huxley than uh, uh, than than oh, uh, well. Uh, and I, I tend to fully believe it. Well, the video of uh, Aldous Huxley basically saying, you know, slavery by consent. How you know through these you know, mechanisms and luxuries, we're going to begin to in love, enjoy and demand our enslavement through these mechanisms. If you take them away, then it's just going to, and you see that. I mean, that was in the sixties. You see, I mean, people, I mean, I don't know about you, but people would just rather text than call or email yes. or, you know, everyone's faces down. There's no real engagement between human beings anymore. And it's like, that's almost, they would prefer that than, you know, human interaction. Yeah. And I think that's by design. It's easier because there's less, uh, potential for conflict or confrontation. And I don't even mean conflict and confrontation in its most, like, and, and to the point that taken to its furthest degree, which, you know, it might be, would be violence. You know, violence is at the, is still the gold standard for everything in human, human existence. Violence is at the bottom of all human interaction and it always will be. But uh, when, you know, that's that, but that is, that is, like I said, that's, that's when everything is, has been exhausted and got to its worst levels. But, you have conflict when you just simply have a disagreement of anything, which it doesn't have to be acrimonious. You have uh, there's there's a little the unknown could include conflict or it's it just that okay meeting somebody on the street in a position okay well I'm watching a guy a blind man try and pass across the street and he and he's just really unsure and they don't have the little beeper and I don't know what the problem is but he's really struggling I'm driving down Sunset Boulevard and I see this guy. And he's, 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 you can tell that he's not, he is not sure. And he's tapping and he's trying to find his way. And, it, and everyone's just walking past him. Everyone's ignoring him, head in their phones, ignoring him, like whatever. Wow. He's living his own life. I don't want nothing to do with it. And eventually I see him like this blind man just say like, well, fuck, I got to get to where I got to go. And he walks off and he starts trying to cross the street and he starts diagonaling out towards traffic. And I had already whipped my car, pulled in, stopped it, ran out of my car, got the guys, straightened it back, back up on, onto, the, onto the crosswalk and, and just said, hey, I'm here. I'll, I'll get you to wherever you need to go. And got on pointing in the right directions. And he didn't really speak English all that well. And, and my Spanish sucks. And so I, it wasn't like I was going to be super useful in that and 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 you know purposely that's my fault i need to i need to be better at learning more foreign languages uh to, to better uh get more out of the world but in any case i get this guy going to where he wants to go but even when i'm helping this guy no one cared no one looked no one stopped no one they're not they're not interested they're not interested because they're not paying attention but i think they're also not interested because you know everyone's thinking about like don't add any more burden to your life yeah uh, don't risk the difficulty that comes with really having to make real personal interactions with people everybody loves to you know give money to the poor but they don't want to help the poor they don't want to they don't want to give the tools to somebody to get them out of whatever position they're in to, to wherever that position wherever they want to be or even to, to sell them like you know what maybe you're financially poor but you, what you realize is that uh, the idea of, of being financially rich is actually really anathema to you. Like you hate it. So how can you do what you need to do and and not have to deal with the rat race and the bullshit of, of, of wealth accumulation and just sustain for yourself? And fuck, I mean, that's there's nothing that says that you have to be a rich person. Right. You know, and, and, and I think money is a great tool, but it is a tool. It is not a device that can create meaning for yourself right. um and and yes we could and there's there's plenty to talk about about uh certain costs of services and, and things like that gotcha but 
I think it's really hard to be effective in dealing with those things until you've at least, I mean, I know it's tacky to, to do the Jordan Peterson clean your room, but I didn't look <laughs> at it as just like clean your, like literally clean your room, although that does help. Um, I, I looked at it as, man, you got to find your, your meaning making device. You got to orient yourself. You got to get what that thing is. And then once that's done, man, uh, you know, you start, and I'm not fully a stoic, but then you start having that stoic mentality. You can't, you can't take from me anything because everything I need is within myself. Right. And so if I lose it all or I'm given it all, I'm going to be the same person and still be able to, to, to create the things that I need in life. And I found that very, uh, just doing show prep. I think I watched most of you on the recent Joe Rogan. And I think it's very important a point you guys brought up. And I think we all kind of struggle with it to some degree. <clears throat> These, artifices of human beings that we kind of create the inauthentic us that we kind of create on Facebook or whatever that keeps us from, like you said, really going in as opposed to out. Everyone's posting, I'm living my best life, this or this or this one. Really the journey is, is an internal one, but we just, we almost create this, like, I don't even know how to describe it. This uh, pseudo Zen master when really we're fucking a mess, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think people have a tendency to just, vomit uh, a position uh, from emotion like so it's either they'll say I'm creating my best life look at me I'm winning 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 blah 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 uh, you know standing next to a bunch of material things that don't really matter that much right. and, uh, what have you but uh, then you'll have the flip side of it where people are are you know mental health mental health mental health mental health anxiety depression anxiety depression so on and so forth look at me I, I'm wounded and inert and I need to be looked after. And it's, and it's just one side of the same coin. It's needing the world to recognize and listen to you and, mm. to, and to try and uh, point you out as, as deserving more than the next person. But, and I've talked to a lot of my friends and I go, you know, anxiety and depression is normal. You know that, right? Like, and we all have it. Like even the coolest person you might see uh, gets anxiety from things and, and depression exists. And, and I really believe like, like young states that anxiety and depression, they, I mean, and these things are red flags to point you to where you need to put work in. It's, yeah. it's you telling yourself that you, Hey man, you need to look after this because if, if, if you're getting at it to begin to at an early point, you, you can, you can sort this out and, and, and move past it and, and get it behind you, eliminate it altogether potentially. But if you let this thing stay here, it will fuck you up because mm. it's you fucking you up. It's you telling you in your conscious and your in your subconscious that you are doing something or you're, you're, you're something's going on. And uh, you know that, that's not easy to do. And and I don't I don't uh, look upon people that struggle with with getting to the bottom of these things and getting to the first root of acceptance of what you're dealing with. So that then you can move to. I mean, acceptance is kind of like the problem people have with admitting they're wrong, right? They just, they just refuse. They just, they just don't want to do it at no end. And it's like, but until you can get to the point of being like, no, I'm wrong. Or I accept that this is wrong about me, or this is a problem, or this isn't working how I thought it was like being able to nakedly stare it in the face and deal with it, what it is. That's the only way you get to move to the next point and, and get past these things and, and create either remove that weakness from your armor or, you know, build around it until you can find a solution. So it's like, all right, I'm going to keep this isolated away from, from the things I need to do. That way it doesn't impact me. And if it does pop up, I know what it is. I know what it's going to try and do. I know how I react right. to it. And so I can, I can implement some systems to try and mitigate that. 
until I can go back to work on it and take care of it. You know, these are not easy things and it won't be the same journey for every person. It right. won't be the same issue. And so, uh, you know, everybody out there should be doing as much as they can to work on themselves and finding that trust with their, with their closest uh, kin and kith and, you know, to create those connections because we're, we're able to help each other if we're sincere about it. And if we can, we can actually trust in one another we can find that we will, we will find that common ground if you want to. Well, and it's, it's the, with these times being what they are, it's almost forcing a lot of self-diagnosis for people. It's like, you know, when you're at home by yourself, whether you're physically or metaphorically looking in the mirror and whether your inner thoughts, I mean, it's, it's getting away from a lot of people, but a lot of people, again, I said this from the beginning, it's as well as a social financial political reset. This is a time for people's kind of spiritual reset as well, because like I said, it's, it's kind of forcing this kind of self-diagnosis. Um, before we let you slide, I did, you know, we all see what's going on in the world. I mean, the world is completely indescribable or unrecognizable from six, eight months ago. Fucking Kenosha, Wisconsin, of all places, just ablaze. We're seeing, like Pat was saying, just all of this, you know, random violence and just shit's gone crazy. And even before this popped off, the, the seeds were planted back in 2016, in my opinion, of the potential for Civil War II. And that was just based off political divisions. You can see how visceral it was. Now, you compound yeah. that with everything else that's going on right now, COVID, racial stuff, et cetera. How likely do you see something like that going down? And obviously, when I say Civil War II, we're not talking about symmetrical lines of troops, et cetera. It, it could, it could, it's going to be brush fires, a little bit of everywhere with guerrilla warfare, et cetera, in my opinion. Do you see anything like that going down? Yeah, I didn't. When people used to talk about it early on, I'm just like, we don't have the stomach to do such a thing. We're, we're incapable of being those people anymore, uh, for, for bad or for good, however you want to weigh that. But, uh, and, and the more I got into researching things and doing the reading, the more I've seen that it's not, I mean, this is, this has been decades in the making of putting, uh, these kind of ideological positions in the world, uh, just waiting for enough momentum to then institute it. There have been people being indoctrinated and and incentivized through grievance for through the academy and other things. And you know, I, I tried to point things out to people, like with the whole uh, Brett Weinstein thing out at Evergreen, as just like this is such an obvious example of things that maybe other people have a harder time uh, understanding uh, that have not done all the philosophical reading and, and that I have, but. Okay, this is this is plain as day, yeah. And people still ah, it's just the universities. It's just this one play. It's just it's just it's just. And I would say you do realize that one, things like this are never made up out of one week or one day yeah. or even one year. This took a lot of time. Uh, this took a lot of time for even the people that are that are pushing the, kind of these ideolo these ideological positions onto people. It took them years to develop the arguments and develop their their. Uh, uh, their their way of presenting these things to then to bring the people into the fold. Um, and then I, I say, well, okay, look at this. If that's the case, then these people that are getting pushed into this, and you've just never seen them react in this manner, but you can bet that people of this line of thinking have been, as college graduates, picked up by HR departments, picked up by corporations, sure. ending up in the PR departments, ending up here. And then, you know, you get Gillette ads talking about how men are toxic yes. instead of 
instead of how things are good. And, and we more naturally respond to negative stimuli. I mean, that's been proven, especially when you start looking through the way the news reports and even uh, tests done on uh, how the brain reacts to, to negative information versus positive information. And, and the media knows it. I mean, I guess you should, you know, again, more Edward Bernays and yes. also probably uh, look into the book uh, Public Opinion by uh, Walter Lippmann. So uh, you start figuring these things out. So our natural proclivity is to go with, okay, there's a crisis. There's always a crisis. There's a crisis. There's a problem. There's an enemy. That's going to get you motivated to actually do something. And evolutionarily, in an evolutionary biological sense, that makes sense that we would be more responsive to negative stimuli and potential threat than it is to say, you know, instead of saying how uh, how horrible something is, why don't you say, like, how how capable we are, like, how how much... I mean, if you look at some of these, 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 I'm not going to call them protests. They're definitely rights. They're all, they're something peaceful protests. There's a mechanism through the entirety of it. But these people are so energized. Now imagine if that energy was put into a less destructive position and they could then be a part of building up better things instead of trying to tear things down uh and and you know the things that are being torn down most uh, almost 90 percent of the time maybe 99 percent of the time it's not the mayor's house it's not the city hall it's not it's not anything related to government it's always just the gucci storefront or the target or, or a furniture store or a used car lot and it's like what do these people have anything to do with any of this right, but right. then it's just like you go look at the looting videos and people like aoc want to put more ideological spin and like oh you know feeding your family like these people aren't grabbing things to feed their family right. they're just grabbing luxury items because they've been programmed to put their meaning into dumbass, shallow, meaningless stuff like a bigger TV and these sneakers and this thing. And 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 it's not racial it, in that sense. Everybody is thinking like this by and large. It It's because we're all living into the same paradigm. You can have your cultural uh, differences in, in your in your in-groups and out-groups, but we're all living under the same paradigm. And if you're buying into using consumerism and, and disposable consumerism at that, the, the kind of consumerism that says, Hey, don't don't fix your printer. Just throw it away and buy a new one all the time. Always just throw away the thing and buy something new mm. instead of having something that, that lasts and something that's rebuildable. What do you think people are going to do when put under stress? And especially, and, and, and you can want to, you could argue about uh, if the stress is is 100% accurate from how it's being depicted. If it isn't, if, to them it's real. To them it's real. And. And there is real stress that all of us are under all the time. Even if you if you if you think that if you give that stress a different a different uh, 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 compass instead of you know uh, you, you shift that stress over and put it onto something else, the stress is still real. Even if you didn't really get to the root of why it was there in the first place. Right. Like I said, like having a lack of a proper meaning making apparatus is going to leave you in a, in a vulnerable state to a lot of things. And, you know, I'm here to say it's not necessarily your fault. Like, this is the way these things are constructed. This is the way the modern West is constructed. This is the natural end state of living in this society without having those meaning-making apparatuses uh, at your disposal. Mm. 
And this shows us, I think, throughout history, I've talked about it before, is, you know, there have been four four groups that are the most powerful people in the world, and I'm getting to a point with, with what you're talking about, this materialistic mindset. You know, with the, the first most powerful people in the world were conquerors, then it was religious leaders, then it was presidents, and now it is the CEOs of these multinational corporations. And it's all about farming farming humans, right? And that's that's really where I think all of this stuff comes from, commercialism and just have to have this, have to have that. You know, you talked about the Gucci's, this, that. And I think that that's why it's we are in the position we are now. Being pushed with a concept of not only of uh, Rousseauism, but they're also being pushed on with the concept of Hegel's historical dialectic. And it's like, no, not all movement is progress, guy. I'm sorry. You know, in fact, I've had the argument with people before, or at least I've made the argument, I should say. I don't, most people don't argue with me about this, of all things. And I'll say, huh. you know, if you're a, a farmer in Guatemala and you get some NGO down in your, your spot telling you about how you're this, you're poor, you don't have these things, the, what you don't have Buffalo Wild Wings and Xboxes and, and, and fucking all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, like, you should just pack up and go to the, to the land of, of milk and honey and every your whole life will be better and it's like well there is something to be said about the having a, a higher tech environment at your disposal 100 uh, percent there's something to be said about um having systems in place that you know are, are can accurately and efficiently do things for transportation i know right am i talking about america i know it seems like a fucking bike dream <laughs> but let's just let's just say in comparison to maybe their situation specifically right. um so i'm just saying that they don't have to be from guatemala they could be from anywhere but the idea that you are necessarily like that person who is who's living an agrarian and they're living below our poverty line is somehow has a less meaningful life than the person that's got all the, the trinkets and knickknacks and bullshit right, and right. makes more money over here is is a, an incredibly arrogant position to take. And the thing, you don't, there's no way you would have to you would have to get to know that person and see how they live their life. And you know what? If if all they ever did was live a very simple life, if that's what suited them and that's what was meaningful, and they had their kids and they provided for themselves and they were part of their community. I don't care if that person never invents the cure to cancer. Uh, there's no guarantee that I know that that person could invent the, the cure to cancer. I'm glad that they are a fulfilled, happy person that can live the life that they want to live and, and, and take their tradition and whatever that is important to them and that has been passed down to them and give it to theirs. I think that's fucking, like, that's key. That is something that people just yeah. completely over. I've met a few friends, man, even one that served in the Peace Corps, and just people who really traveled the world, mostly third world countries. And something that they said that they got almost out of anything is the the genuine joy they saw in so many of these families. I mean, you can't miss what you don't have, right? So they just had just the essence, and they, that was that was enough for them, where it's like over here, you know, fucking, you know, we're losing our minds if we don't have the newest iPhone. But I found that very fascinating, that true, genuine joy can be found even in these poverty-stricken situations because, like you alluded to, you know, it's it's not – the journey's not an external one. It's an internal one. So it's it's weird because, yeah. like you said, our paradigm over here, just Western, is so externally driven. Um, yeah. Fascinating. And uh, hi- hyper-individualistic, and I, I am in, I am definitely someone who, who thinks that the – sovereignty and the the necessity of the individual is 
incredibly key and important. Yeah. But we don't live by ourselves, and we have to learn how to be the individual that is made of the stuff that can be a part of the greater community at large, whatever that is to you, and however large that becomes. And and also by well, and I'm a person who's traveled the world quite a lot myself, and by seeing somebody living, especially a more simplistic, a more or what you might think is a more mundane life, but seeing uh, them with an infinitely higher level of happiness, okay. you then have, and, and really I say happiness, but I, I really more mean meaningfulness. I think meaningfulness is far more important. But uh, it, the thing that it should inform you isn't even simply like, I'm living my life wrong, now I need to be an agrarian farmer. It's like, no, no, no that's not the thing. <laughs> this person is not that different from you, okay? They probably all have all the same potential for trait characteristics as anybody else. Doesn't fucking matter what their race is, doesn't matter where they were born, there's gonna be different cultural influences, but at their base, they're made of the same biology as you are, and they, you are as capable as they who have been in creating that for yourself. Now you'll you'll have the things that that are specific to where you live and the cultures around you and the people around you and their uh, cultures and how they that informs them. Got it. There's always context and subjectivity to your specific position, uh, especially considering as Heidegger would talk about your your thrownness so what you're born into like okay i i guess i'm uh, pale and i've got blue eyes and whatever i burn easy but i'm i'm kind of strong i'm sort of fast i can do that you know whatever oh my parents are middle class and blue collar and and you know all the things that will just oh you had no choice in picking that just the way it turned right. out thrownness but <laughs> you're still human beings and you have more alike than you have uh disparate more than you have different from each other and if their ability to create meaning meaningful life is just as possible as for you. So, uh, you know, the takeaway should be like, hey, other humans can make it happen. I can make right. it happen. And, and, and from them, get talk to them as much as you can. Again, get to the root of how they view the world and how they construct the world from that viewpoint. And see if you can't take what's important about that and then bring it into your life and then bring it into other people's if possible. And it, it is so sad because I say it all the time. We do have so much more in common than we do different. And it's almost like the cure for cancer. There's no money in the cure. It's almost like there's nothing. They don't get anything out of getting us together. It's more the divisions that, you know, the the, the ordo ab chaos or whatever. But I, I do wish we could we could see that, especially now, man. I mean, we are so being you know, the old ancient tried and true divide and conquer, we're just falling for it. And it is so sad because they're weaponizing our differences when in fact, I mean, fuck, I mean, a natural disaster. You don't care if the dude saving you has a fucking Trump hat on. It's just another human oh. being saving a human being. And it sucks because only in those kind of dire situations do we tend to transcend that shit and give it, not give a shit about it. And then once we go back to the calmness, we go back to our extreme tribes and then let us be played off against each other and it's sad because it's i think like pat was saying well, I mean, it, it could look it, at it this way it's like i'm not gonna go and do like a, a thorough examination of somebody before i decide to help them if they need right, help right. i'm gonna help. you know there was a, a guy who's uh, i was going to deposit a check at the bank and i see his car's pulled over he's got his hood up initially i'm like well maybe that doesn't really mean anything i mean it's not in a he's not in a parking zone so that's kind of a pain in the ass for him it's la so it's all you got it's like it's, it's like it's like reading Heidegger's being in time to figure out where the fuck you can park at any given moment in L.A. But um, <laughs> you uh, so I see this guy and I'm looking and I'm getting the notion like he's actually really having a hard time with this. And so uh, I just walk up and I go, hey, 
what seems to be the problem? What's, what do you need done? And he goes, I'm not sure. He goes, I think that this, that my throttle body is stuck in this and what have you. And I, I can get the car started, but it won't, it'll, it'll, it'll idle a little, but I can't get it to go. I'm like, okay, okay. I go, I don't have my tools on me. Uh, so I, I'm really limited in what I can do to help. And, uh, you know what, I'm going to go to the bank and drop this check off and I'll, I'll check on you when I get back. And I come back and he's still sitting there and I go, okay, well, Hey dude, um, obviously having your car here, if you have to leave it or you have to do anything, you're going to get some fucking crazy ass ticket, uh, from all the, the wonderful profit policing of LA. <laughs> and, uh, uh, we, we need to get your car. I, at least we can get it to a, uh, a parking meter. So, okay. So what I did is I go into my car, drive it forward from my parking meter into the red zone. So it's still got time on it, add more time, you know, f max it out, push this guy's car, get it into a parking spot. And then I thought, well, what, what is the really the only truly effective thing I can do for this guy anymore? And it was, I took a little video and put it out across social media to just, Hey, this guy's stuck here, help him out, see if you can't get him back on the road. Or, or figure some other solution for him because, you know, the, the guy got places to go and things to do. He's He's got a car, but he's just in some trouble. So why don't we try and help him out? And I didn't I didn't look at the guy and think, what's his race? Uh, what What's he wearing? What I, I really didn't care. Yeah. And I was there to try and take somebody from having a spot where they're going, man, what the, what the fuck am I going to do today? You know, oh, man, I am really stuck. How do I get myself out of this jam? And saying, like, you know what? Not everybody in the world is just a selfish piece of shit that only thinks about themselves and actually wants to try and see people have have some help when they need it. And maybe that person at some point will come across somebody else and in, 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 in trouble and help them out, you know, to, to reverse the idea of flipping out your phone and just filming everything in life right. and being a viewer and being like, oh, sucks. Glad it's not me. And instead, being the person who keeps the fucking phone in their pocket and shows up and, and backs other human beings because, you know what, I don't I don't know who you are, I don't know what you think, we can get to that at some point, but right now, I see another human being that needs my help, and so I'm going to help them. Yeah, good shit, man. We need way more of that, man. Way yep. more of that. Shit. I know I wanted to get to a couple other things, but I don't want to keep you too much longer, my friend. Um, you got a couple more minutes? Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you about the whiskey, man. I mean, obviously it's it's done done well for you. The uh it's it sounds like uh you've always been a connoisseur of the whiskey, Warbringer. Uh how'd that get started and how do you partner oh, yeah, up with those? You know, uh Pat Pat's seen me have a few whiskeys. In fact, I've seen Pat with a few whiskeys himself. Uh <laughs> every time uh if I've got a, a after party for my fight and Pat's around, he's always invited. He's been at every single one of them just about. So uh <laughs> so yeah, Pat and I actually have a super old relationship uh yeah. funny enough but uh um the whiskey stuff basically I, I am a connoisseur i'm into it i really got into it when living in japan and i was looking to try and branch out into doing a whiskey line because it's uh you know when we talk about how you orient yourself in the world i mean the way i look towards getting involved in any th kind of product or what have you is is it something that i can back is it something that represents me is it something that i'm willing to put my name on and, and truly support because I believe in it. Cause if it's not, I have nothing, I have no interest. And so I was talking to these various distilleries, seeing if, what we could get done. And I, uh, uh, one of the owners of Sesame Creek, he slid into my DMS and was just out of, out of nowhere to said, Hey, you know, we can conquer this thing, you know, blah, 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 you know, all these 
these fighters and their booze and whatever, but we could do something, you know, that crushes it all. And I thought, yeah, you're right, but you don't know exactly how right you are. And so <laughs> I went up there and I said, hey, I got to meet, I got to meet you guys. I got to drink the product. There's no way I can be involved in anything without doing due diligence. And I loved it. Uh, we had such a great conversation getting to know each other, me, David, Alfred, uh, David being the head distiller. And uh, we were on the right path. We were on the same same uh, <clears throat> on the same uh, page as far as what we wanted to to get out of this project. And so from from that was born the Warbringer Bourbon Warmaster Edition, which is a single barrel cask strength version of their Warbringer. 98 proof mesquite smoked bourbon that they that's a blend well i do all the barrel picks on warmaster edition so only the best barrels that i determine get bottled get put together and get put out into the into the world sherry and, barrels uh, are they not do they you guys not? yeah well uh, both of them are we always use uh, sherry as a finishing process on our product but uh um you know it's it's bourbon it is it is a 75 percent corn that is mesquite smoked and 25% malted rye. And then from that, we age it in new American oak and then we finish it in a sherry cask. So with notes uh, we, of dark we, chocolate and cherry. Yeah. That, that, that just sounds on, delicious, uh, batch, dude. <laughs> batch, two, batch two has the, the, the smokiness and, and everything, but there's a big dark chocolate note on the nose. And then there's a dark chocolate in the finish along with like tobacco leaf and, and uh, uh, a little bit of mint and uh uh white pepper and what else was as in a uh, uh, tobacco tobacco leaf and leather and then you get you start getting that dark chocolate starts showing up again i mean like 86 percent like type dark chocolate the dark stuff and it's like coated in a slight cherry uh, uh um uh layer uh which is very subtle but cherry is as a real common note you'll find in bourbon and being that this is a bourbon mash, uh, you start to find it as well. But um, I've, I, I don't just, you know, and this is again the way I approach things. I don't just tell people to 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 put some booze in a bottle and put my name on it. I I do the barrel picks to begin with for the Warmaster edition. But even beyond that, I started working at the distillery, milling grain, uh, you know, adding, uh, working, uh, setting up the pitch which is, is going to have all of our fermentation uh, uh, aspects in it. We're going to put our yeast in there. We're going to get it to a certain level of pH and a certain uh, 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 level of activation. Then we're going to add that into the into the mash, into the tank. And, and then we're being there to having to go through the checklist of checking the temperature on the mash tank, doing this, doing that, running distilling runs, finish stripping runs and finishing runs, and, and having the head distiller leave me to it. Uh, cleaning the place, smoking the the corn. I put myself into all of this. And I, wow. I was telling a friend who was looking to buy some of the Warbringer batches that are out there. And I go, if you come across batch six, which we all think is our, our best batch uh, of Warbringer yet, um, uh, as far as the blended 98 proof uh, smoked bourbon is, uh, uh, that was a combination between me, Alfred, David, and Kat, uh, Kat being our in-house sommelier, all sitting down and doing tasting notes and and nosings and everything so we made the blend i'm a part of making the blend with that uh, me and david sat down with batch seven and we made the blend for batch seven and uh i mean if you go out and you buy one of these bottles there's a good chance that either i filled it put the <laughs> hand put the label on 
or or use the the heat gun to, to seal the whole thing up and put the the seal tabs on top wow. so <laughs> there's no way that you you you've had this you're getting this product without my personal touch being a part of it because you know, I, I'm just not about being a bullshit kind of person. Well, That's you, awesome. Like, from the beginning, like you said, you weren't lying. You have stayed busy. That's really cool, man, to be so intricately involved in that whole process. I didn't even realize. I mean, I don't know. I, as I've gotten older, I've gotten an appreciation for, you know, like craft beers as well as uh, whiskeys and bourbons. And, you know, like, yeah. I like, I like my vices. I like them. They have to stay vices and not habits. But I like my vices. <laughs> <laughs> man, this has been a deep conversation, man. I really appreciate you coming on, Josh. Uh, anywhere we could track you down? I, I think I heard you say you got your new website up. Yes, joshbarnett.com is a, is, a, is a great holding place for everything I'm doing. It's got all the information on Bloodsport, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport, my pro wrestling promotion I do with GCW. No, it's got stuff nice. on. It's got old, old interviews and videos of mine. It's got uh, a link to my Kings Road merchandise store so you can buy – my official stuff, uh, which is always metal as fuck. And uh, it'll have links to the, the Warbringer and uh, whiskey as well. And we have, uh, right now, we're trying to get uh, a mailing list put together so that we can keep everybody up to date on when the new batches will be released, where you can get your stuff. And, uh, you know, with Warmaster Edition, it's all sold out. We sold out all wow. three available barrels that we could. Uh, and then we pre-sold three more. So Beautiful. we're not... I don't know when we're going to be putting more back on the market. You know, things are just sitting there letting, letting time do what it needs to do. But, yeah. um, you just, you can't rush something like whiskey. It just doesn't work. So, uh, uh, although, um, you know, I, and you know, from this whole conversation, my point is you know, when I, when I talk about these kind of things, I just want to try and give people uh, I, not even just the tools, but like try to get them to look in the right directions to find what is necessary for them to get themselves in the right position to to be effective for themselves and for those around them and and you know you don't you don't everybody's everybody doesn't have to live the 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 life of slaying the dragon they don't have to be the hero of the world everybody runs around all trying to be the richest the most powerful uh they all want to be the the star of everything it's like you don't have to do that and, and you know what it's 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 it's, it's really at times maybe very luck derived that you might even find yourself in that position at all right just because you found out what that thing was that you could do um that would that would get you in that position and maybe just things align sometimes it's something like uh i mean hell pat didn't know what the hell he was doing when he started fighting he just knew that he wanted to fight and it managed to turn into something and and for me it was very very similar i just said what didn't matter what I got out of it in terms of the other things. I, I know people can seem to make a living, but I need to fight. I need to get in the ring. I need to look another man across the ring and go to war with him. That's all I want to do. That's this, that I can't figure out anything that is more fulfilling to me than that at the time. And right. it's still, uh, it just scratches a, a, an itch in my deepest, uh, sense of, of being in the world. But, uh, well, and if there okay. is a dragon to be slayed, like we said earlier, it doesn't necessarily have to be an external physical one. It's oftentimes, if yeah. the dragon is an, is an internal dragon that needs to be slayed. Biggest ones are internal. Yeah. Yes, of course. And they're the hardest to deal with. And, and that's that's everybody's task. Like, we always need to be slaying those internal dragons. And we all have them. We all have our points of weakness. We are not perfect creatures. And we are not, uh, we are susceptible to the same things that might make a person act in the way that we criticize because they're doing, you know, X, Y, Z action. But the thing is, 
maybe given different circumstances, and we, we don't do that exact action, but our motivations and our reactions are the same. So we're not that we're not that far apart. And I just want to see people being able to, you know, there is lots of, of, of good change that needs to happen. There's good change that can happen for all of our bureaucratic systems. And that includes that's not just police. That's everything. Everything that is created under this, these bureaucratic structures are all entropic at this point, massively entropic. And they have been. And they've been isolated and 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 uh, you know put in and I, putting themselves into different bubbles to to procure their own self-interest over the intention of what they're there for. And it's not because they had a diabolical plan and they wanted to do harm to anyone or harm to people at large. It's because this is the nature of human beings. Without the correct auditing and revivification, and this will always happen. Everything in the universe suffers entropy. Human beings are no different. That's me. That's Pat. That's everybody that's listening right. to this show. And so we have to be, we have to, we have to allow the agitation of existence to to get us to keep us moving. And we have to create agitation in ways to create us to make us continue to learn and to yes. continue to, to to create the ability to to advance ourselves to our best place of being. Without struggle, there is no progress. Who said that? No. Fred, Frederick Ellis, I believe. Josh, man, this has been uh, this is sweet, man. Been sitting under the learning tree with Josh Barnett here. And if you ever need a uh, commentator for your professional wrestling, sir, I am a trained professional. Patrick, he's James actually very good. Josh, he's very good. I will admit. <laughs> All right, uh, Pat, love you, brother. Josh, thank you so very much for your time and continued success with everything, man. Congratulations, yeah. and uh, ladies and gentlemen, peace and so much love. Stay tuned. There'll always be more.